Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of The Briefing, a brand new daily news podcast. My name is Tom Tilly. You may know me from Triple J's Hack Program, where I was the host for many years. Or you may have seen me tanking down by the Batuta Advocate on way too many occasions. <laughs> um, I'll be joined throughout each week by three epic co-hosts, um, the hilarious and insightful Jan Fran. There's many ways to skin a cat. You don't have to go back to the church if you don't want to. I'll also be joined by author and commentator Jamila Rizvi. One day soon he is going to be up for bail and your family relationships play into that. And right now, News Corp Sunday political editor Annika Smethurst joins me. Annika Hello there from Canberra. Did you get an illegal copy of Malcolm Turnbull's memoir over the weekend? I did. But (laughs) just like the foreign minister, received and deleted, Tom. Ah, that is the right answer. We'll find out more about that in just a moment. First up, the government's asking us to consider downloading the coronavirus tracing app. And over the weekend, Annika, some of its own MPs have come out saying, no way, they won't be downloading it. Yeah, it's going to be a problem for the government. I spoke to a number of MPs over the weekend who privately hold some serious concerns about this app. And publicly, at least three rebel MPs have flat out refused to put it on their phones when it's released either this week or next week. Yeah, one of the most prominent critics is Barnaby Joyce, the former Deputy Prime Minister. We've got to be very careful we don't overreach. Obviously, the vast majority of the Australian people say, uh, no, to hell with the government. Uh, They know enough about my life already. Well, we know a lot about his life, don't we, Annika? A little bit too much. (laughs) Who else has come out saying they're not going to download it apart from Barnaby? Look, I spoke to Deputy Speaker Lou O'Brien and he told me, quote, there was a snowflakes chance in hell that he would be putting that on his phone. And here's what Queenslander Independent Bob Catter had to say. It's not enough for them to have us under house arrest. Now they want us to walk around with a prison bracelet. Wow, classic Bob Catter there. So they're the people who've spoken publicly. What about privately? Look, privately, the concerns um, are really stemming from the fact that on Friday, the Prime Minister left the door open to it being compulsory. Now, look, he has wound that back, but that seemed to anger a lot of members of his own government. And there are a lot of people who won't come out publicly because they don't want to um, be seen as not being part of Team Australia, but they uh, really do have concerns about the privacy issues around this app. What an absolute shambles, because it's going to be really important for a lot of Australians to download this app. They're aiming for 40% or more, but already you've got people within the government coming out and criticising it publicly. It's crazy. And 40% is a low mark. I'm told health experts advising the government would actually prefer somewhere ideally around 80, maybe 70% of people. Now, I don't think that's going to be possible for the government, but obviously the more people that have this, the more likely they are to ease restrictions. But as you say, huge challenge if people within the government aren't going to download it. Good luck uh, convincing the public. Um, We're actually going to find out more about how the tracing app actually is expected to work and whether we have anything really to be worried about, that's in just a few moments here on The Briefing. Over the weekend, we got a glimpse inside the homes of some of the world's biggest music stars with a six-hour online concert, One World Together at Home. Yeah, it was organised by the WHO, the World Health Organisation, and it was curated by Lady Gaga. It featured Elton John, Billie Eilish, the Rolling Stones and a whole lot more. Here's one of the highlights where Sam Smith and John Legend perform Stand By Me. It's a huge moment. I guess the question is, will it be as historic as Live Aid in 1985? I guess time will tell. 
Um, it certainly came at a good time for the WHO. Absolutely. It raised $130 million US dollars for the World Health Organization, which is a little bit cash-strapped at the moment after Donald Trump pulled funding over concerns about how the body has handled the pandemic. Perhaps, I don't know, he was concerned they were organising concerts instead of dealing with <laughs> uh, testing. It is an important amount of money, though. The US contribution to the World Health Organization accounted for about 15% of its budget, so it's a huge loss. And obviously, they've had a win on the weekend with that um, extra bit of boost of cash. Yeah, it is concerning, though, to see the US, a major funder of the WHO, pull out at this moment where, you know, even though they may have made some mistakes, we need the WHO more than ever. Yeah, Australia has also had some concerns about the way the World Health Organization obviously handled this. We went out ahead of the World Health Organization to declare it a pandemic and close the borders, which was criticised by the group. But so far, Australia will actually keep their contribution in. Admittedly, it's much lower than the US <laughs> amount, but they say they've done huge amounts of work throughout the Pacific and helping a lot of our regional neighbours. All right, and back to Malcolm Turnbull's book. Um, the former Prime Minister has released his tell-all memoir today, but Annika, some copies got out over the weekend. Yes, that release has been overshadowed by a piracy scandal involving one of Scott Morrison's advisors who has admitted he sent the pirated book to about 59 acquaintances on Saturday night, but I think it may have spread as fast as the coronavirus because <laughs> it seems a lot of people in Canberra um, managed to get one of these illegal PDFs um, on Saturday night. Yeah, well, Turnbull's publisher, Hardy Grant, are, are not happy at all. They're taking legal action. Um, and we've been finding out which government MPs and ministers have actually got this pirated copy. Uh, Foreign Minister Maurice Payne was on Insiders yesterday and she confirmed that she got a copy. I have received and deleted and I would encourage anyone who has uh, received to do the same thing. Good work, Maurice Payne, there. <laughs> but, of course, Stuart Robert was asked about this on the ABC this morning. He is the Government Services Minister. Have you received a copy of Malcolm Turnbull's book? Uh I haven't, uh, but if I had, I wouldn't be bothered reading it. Ooh, yeah, it seems like a lot of Malcolm Turnbull's ex-colleagues aren't that keen to, to really get through the 700-page memoir. Look, I can't possibly imagine why, uh, except for the bits I've read, um, which you can see why they might feel that way, actually. Look, it is one of these, um, people are calling it a get square. I wouldn't necessarily say that. There's a lot of um, other important bits and information, but it comes at a good time for the government because they actually have an excuse not to read it. <laughs> In a different world, Parliament would be going back this week and you could just imagine the questions and question time with some of the accusations being thrown around. But they've got a pandemic to deal with. And that's been been a very good excuse for some of Malcolm Turnbull's former front bench colleagues. So, Annika, you mentioned before you admitted that you got a copy. You're an insider there in Canberra. You can sort of give us the goss. When did this email go around? When did you get it? How did this all unfold? Look, I've had a chat to a few people to compare stories, I guess. Uh, it went around at either a text or an email, and I think it started uh, late Saturday night and obviously into Sunday. Uh, as you say, 59 copies um, can generate quite quickly. So I think there wouldn't be too many people in Canberra uh, working in those circles that didn't get a copy. Stuart Robert has actually said he is one of those. But Maurice Payne, there's admitting she has one and received and deleted, says to be the government talking lines on this. That's what we're all meant to do because piracy is a serious issue. All right. And Annika, on tomorrow's briefing, um, we're going to go in depth with you because you became a headline recently over the AFP raids on your apartment. 
yes, broke the cardinal sin of journalism becoming the story myself. Um, had a bit of a win in the High Court last week, but it was a little bit vexed. It was a win on one hand and not a win on the other hand. Yeah, it's been a crazy year for you since that rage. You've got this massive investigation hanging over your head, and I know that's come at a real personal cost for you. Um, it's going to be fascinating to to hear you sort of really open up about that tomorrow. I look forward to it. All right, you're listening to The Briefing. And in this second half of the show, each day we're going to bring you The Briefing, which is where we go in-depth on a big, important story. And today we're looking at the tracing app that the government wants you to download to help us get out of lockdown. You think you're going to download this tracing app? I personally am going to think very long and hard before downloading this particular app. That is the voice of Jan Fran. She's going to be one of the regular co-hosts on The Briefing. Hello, Jan. Hello, Tom. I'm so excited. Jan Fran is a well-respected journo, by the way. That's why she's here. Um, she was the host of The Feed on SBS. She's done a lot of stuff with The Project. And she's really well-known online for her France which she won a Walkley for last year. Jan, what is a frant? Well, it's a, it's a Jan Fran rant, which obviously the name is genius. Um, little viral <laughs> videos that kind of explain and dissect the news. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Twitter. You can find them on Instagram. They live on social media. And a Walkley, for the people who don't know, um, is, a, is a very prestigious journalism award. There you go. All right, well, let's get into the tracing app and whether we should download it or not. Let's do it. Last week, uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, basically announced an app that the Australian government is developing, essentially to make it easier to find those who have been in contact with someone infected with COVID-19. Yeah, and the Prime Minister compared signing up to this app with the kind of duty that might be required of Australians during wartime. In these circumstances, to keep people safe, to save lives and to save people's livelihoods and get them back to work, if that tool is going to help people do that, then this may be one of the one of the sacrifices we need to make. A strong call, Jan. A very strong call. But, you know, I think these are extraordinary circumstances. You know, comparing anything to war always... You sort of have to take that with a pinch of salt. But I think, you know, this is a one-in-a-century kind of moment. So, yeah, it is a big call. The thing is that we don't really know how the app will work exactly, so it's still being developed at the moment. But the government says that it will be similar to an app that already exists in Singapore. Okay, well, let's find out more about the app in Singapore and how it might work here. Uh, we have joining us Mark Andreevich, who is a professor in communications and media studies at Monash University. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. My pleasure. Mark, can you give us an indication of how the Australian version of this app will work? Well, the app is still in development, so we're waiting to see the details. But my understanding is that they are looking at the Singapore app, which is um, a, a kind of decentralized contact tracing app. Uh, and now I'll explain a little bit what that means. What it does is it uses the phones that we carry around with us to gather information about who we have been in close proximity with. Uh, it uses the, the Bluetooth signal, basically. So your phone would um, detect other phones that are nearby using Bluetooth. And the strength of the signal is used as, a, as an indication of how close you have been to those people. And it, then the app would collect information about the phone that's been near your phone as you've gone about the course of your day. Uh, and the way the Singapore app works is that there are certain privacy protections built in. Um, one of them is no location data is collected by the phone. 
So it collects information about which phones you've been near, but it doesn't say where you were near them. Um, that provides a level of privacy in the sense that where you go throughout the course of the day can re reveal some quite you know, personal information about yourself. And if that information isn't needed to find out who you've been in contact with, then it's a privacy-protecting measure not to collect it. But the other point to make about this is that you actually need a significant proportion of the population to have signed up to the app for it to actually be effective. Can you tell us why the more people that sign up to the app, the more effective it is? Yes. Uh, the, the number that I've seen that they're aiming for is 40% opt-in, which is, a, which is a pretty high number. If you think about 40% of the population installing an app, um, so there's going to have to be really good communication. There's going to have to be really clear explanation of, you know, what information is collected, how it's used, when it's going to be deleted and so on. Um, but the importance of getting that level of buy-in just has to do with getting coverage. If too few people install the app, somebody may come down with the virus, but, you know, many of the people that they've been in contact with wouldn't have had the app on their phone, so it wouldn't have provided information about that contact. So the app wouldn't be very useful in that in that scenario. Yeah, Mark, I'm I'm fascinated to see how Australians respond to this, whether they really do take this up. Because I think on one hand, a lot of Australians are concerned about their privacy, but they also love going to the beach and the cafe <laughs> and the pub, and they really want to get back to their normal lives. Um, Mark, we're going to go to China right now and find out how it's going down there. They have an app, a, a very different one, and we've got John Dawson on the line from a Starbucks. Yes, he's in He's in a cafe. What an amazing um, pleasure that would be to experience again. Um, John Dawson, thanks so much for joining us. Um, you were back in Australia for Christmas and you just landed back in Shanghai where you're living now when this whole nightmare started unfolding. What's it been like for you? It's been a really interesting time. The actual here and now day-to-day -day is all the same. Like everything's open again, um, works the same, social life is the same. Really, when you wake up in the morning now, besides wearing a mask, um, everything's sort of the same as it was uh, a few months ago. Compared to what we're dealing with here, that sounds almost like paradise, John. You're speaking to us from a, a cafe, which is something we can only <laughs> dream of. Um, tell us about the app. We've been hearing about the app that's been proposed here in Australia. It should be coming in next week. You got a very different app there. Yeah, so a couple of weeks after um, it year, a little app or functionality appeared on two of the biggest um, apps that basically all Chinese people have, which is um, Alipay and WeChat. So Alipay is like your mobile wallet. So instead of walking around with a wallet and cash and credit cards, everything's in this one app. So how it worked you know, even a few weeks ago was that shopping centres, cafes, businesses would require you to show your health code before you could get in and then that also do your temperature check. Right, so you actually had to show them the app before you were allowed into the establishment and then if they were okay with the details on the app, they would then let you into the cafe or the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like it's, it's connected to the telco system as well so they can check that where your phone's been and how you've been using it, of course, that you've actually been in the city for 14 days. 
See, that sort of um, gives me the heebie-jeebies so, yeah. a little bit because that's that's quite intense surveillance of the population. I don't think that it'll happen to the same extent here in Australia, although, frankly, we, we just don't have enough information about it. How were you with downloading it? Did, did you have any concerns or did you sort of download it immediately once you knew it was available? Um, it's much easier than being to download a separate app because it just sort of appeared. You know, to be honest, I've only been learning Chinese for a couple of months. I'm still at sort of preschool level. So, you know, when you hit the button, I'm sure there was a terms and conditions page or something that I just hit, you know, accept. Because a lot of the public places as well require you to show your code, They're, you know, everyone opted in. So how do you feel about so, it, John? It sounds like, I mean, it was interesting to hear you just say there, it just turned up on your phone. Did you really get a choice? And do you really care? Like you've been living in China a few months now. Do you have a different perspective on, on all of these questions around surveillance and privacy? Yeah, because it was such a massive crisis and the way that I saw everyone here you know, come together and just totally locked down, and as soon as that Chinese New Year period was over and it was clear that the cities had to get this under control, every measure imaginable was in place. There would have been 2% of the normal amount of people on the streets. Like, everyone was home. There wasn't, like, you know, going out for surfs, you know, <laughs> at Curl Curl or going for a run along Bondi. It was, you know, you're staying home, you're staying in to protect everyone. Do you know if it's working? Do you know if it's having a tangible impact? I mean, we, we've seen numbers and the, the number of cases and the number of deaths have without a doubt reduced. How much do you think the app has had to do with that? I think the app is probably just one part of the measures that are in place. Like, for example, when you went to a restaurant, you would get a piece of paper and you would have a list of everyone who was on that table before you that day, their temperature, their identity card number, their phone number, their name, and the time that they were at that table. And then you just add your name to that as well. And that was like a very low-tech or no-tech way of just making sure that if there's one person that was asymptomatic but then tested positive who was at this restaurant on this day, they can then get in contact with everyone else who's been at that restaurant. John, that makes a lot of sense. I guess it's just a big cultural leap for us here in Australia, but one we're really having to think long and hard about making as we try and find our way out of this pandemic. Um, It's been great to talk to you, um, particularly just to speak to someone who's on on the other side of this pandemic. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. No problem. And you do get to the other side. We're speaking to Professor Mark Andreevich about how the app might work here in Australia. Mark, do you think this will actually work? Do you think it will help reduce the spread of the coronavirus in Australia? And do we have evidence from any of the other countries that actually this is working, the app in particular? So it's it's not just the app. The app is not a miracle solution. Uh, what we've seen from uh, the experience of other nations is that the app has to be used in conjunction with high level of human uh, contact tracing. So developing an, you know, an active, skilled team that can um, combine the use of the app with the human profiling uh, and the testing. Those, it's that combination that yeah. seems to be important for managing the, the spread. Yeah, well, it's been fascinating to hear you explain it so clearly for us, Mark. Sometimes 
this kind of technology can be really, really complex, but you gave it to us in a, a simple way. So it just remains to be seen now, you know, the fine detail and how the government communicate about it. Thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. Pleasure talking with you. I think it's a super important topic. All right. That was Mark Andreevich, who's a professor of communications and media studies at Monash University, explaining how the tracing app here in Australia will work and comparing that to the app in China. Jan, you were a bit sceptical at the start of the show about whether you'd download uh, the app. Does that ease your concerns about it? I guess one of the key concerns I have around this is how long the data will stay in that centralised server for and whether or not that might be prone to hacking. You know, that's a that's a really big question for me and we've seen that happen in the past, so it's not something that is, you know, that I'm kind of pulling out of thin air. It has happened. But at the end of the day, you know, I want this lockdown to end as soon as possible. (laughs) I want us to be able to return to normal life as soon as possible. And I want to be able to contribute to us doing that, you know. And I think that these are extraordinary circumstances, really. And look, to be honest, if I can make a call now without knowing the information, I might change my mind later. But um, I reckon it's something I would sign up to. Yeah, well, I've been watching the the number of new cases each day and being excited as it came down from, you know, three or 400 per day down to 100. And now we're around, you know, sometimes 20, 30 new cases a day. And I think seeing the metric mm. on how many people sign into this app, if, if you saw that, oh, okay, this week we've got 10% of Australians who've um, signed on. Oh, now we're at 30. Oh, wow, 60, 60% of people doing it. There's, there'll be a sense of kind of being in it together and a sense that everyone's cooperating and I think that could be quite a positive thing too. Yeah. I've never been more happy in my life to hear that somebody is in a Starbucks in China. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So just the fact that that that's happening, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. All right. Well, that is our briefing topic for today. Jan Fran, thank you so much. Pleasure. See you soon. All right. This has been your briefing for Monday, the 20th of April, the first ever episode. Very exciting. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Tomorrow, we're going to brief you on our very own Annika Smethurst. Uh, Last year, she became the headline when she was raided by the AFP. They even went through her undie drawer. Um, Pretty intense. It caused a massive public debate around press freedom, but it also came at a really big personal cost to her. So tomorrow on The Briefing, she's going to open up about what it's been like for her. Look forward to speaking to you then. Tell your friends about The Briefing. Um, You can get it via Podcast One or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Talk soon. A Podcast One production.